It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's guest is Jeffrey Stark. Jeffrey's the founder and chairman of the board of directors of Seneca Holdings. He served as the CEO of Seneca and its portfolio companies for 10 years before being elevated to the chairman role earlier this year. In his current role, he works with the executive team to identify, acquire, and integrate operating companies within Seneca. Jeffrey received his MBA from the University of Michigan and a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Michigan Technological University. He and his wife, Patty, reside in Clearwater Beach and summer in Michigan. Jeffrey Stark, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. Now, it's great to have you here. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, uh, very, very interesting to learn about, you know, kind of the development of your business. You've done some pretty amazing things. I guess one calls it a roll up, right, in the building materials industry and the various things that you've done. And we'll get to that in a bit. But we kind of like to start in the early years. And, you know, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Yeah, yeah, Brands. I grew up in uh, Western Pennsylvania, mm. home of coal mining and uh, steel mills. Yeah, about yeah. about twenty five miles south of Pittsburgh. Family involved in those businesses, or one or the other? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, my father was a welder in the steel mills, um, mm. and my grandfather worked in the real rolling mills. Wow. Uh, my wow. brother did a little bit of work in the coal mines. So yeah, it's a typical middle class family, you know. In, in a very working class town. And kind of some transformation. I mean, I don't know if all those uh, industries have gone away. I know many of them have transformed. Did that kind of uh, affect uh, the, the previous generation and or your generation where a lot of those jobs shut down over time? Or has that not really hit your family as hard as others? Oh, no, it's hit the area extremely hard. Yeah. Uh, when I was a, a, in high school, a lot of folks what graduated, they went to work in the mills and actually spent wow. a couple summers in the mill. Uh, yeah. But they actually tore down the mill uh, a few years back. Yeah. And uh, they still do a little coal mining, but most of the steel mills uh, in the town I grew up in, it's completely gone and it's uh, just a riverfront now. Wow. So some so hard times. So were you kind of exposed to some of that? Did you see some of the you know, uh, effects of that uh, in the local economy as you grew up? Oh, yeah. 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 It was, it was a uh, the mills obviously a very union environment right. and you know there's always activity going on and and uh, especially when they had issues at the mill. 
Sure, sure. Brothers and sisters, uh, Jeffrey? Yeah, um, I've got an older sister who always thinks she's a younger sister (laughs) and uh, two younger brothers. Got it. So kind of right in the middle there. Yeah. Right. And mom and dad, uh, you mentioned dad's work. Did, Did mom work from the home or pretty busy bringing up four kids during those years? Yeah. You know, my mom was a nurse, so she worked uh-huh. part-time for um, a long time and right. uh, so that she was home with, the, you know, with us. But she, yeah, she worked in the local hospital and as, as a nurse. Right. What were some of the things that um, influenced or inspired you by your parents in those early years? Well, you know, my dad, he was a, he was an athlete growing up and he was oh. really a guy that encouraged all of us to to do better and, and really to be the best that we could be at whatever it, it was that we chose to do nice. um, sports school you know life in general he he really believed in that and he pushed us you know really hard as as kids <laughs> um, you know to to do that I remember the first time he told me I needed more elbow grease and I go into the garage looking for a can of elbow grease. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, great. Did you come and show it show it to him and say, no, how about I, this, Dad? <laughs> I came back. I, go, I, I can't find it. What, did you hide it from me? <laughs> oh, you must have got a good laugh out of that. I'm, I'm what, sure. what What sports did he play? My dad was a baseball player. Baseball player. Yeah. Cool. And did you pursue some sports as well then as you went through school? I did. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I played a lot of different sports, uh, you know, baseball, basketball. Uh, f- football. It was. Uh, I ran track a little bit. I, right. You know, I did a lot of different things. That was important. To my dad really pushed us. Sure. Um, you know, to be active. I think it kept us busy and and learn you know team skills. Right. And right. again, kept you out of trouble. I think was his his big <laughs> thing. You know? During those after school hours, right? Exactly. And and he was really <laughs> tough. Uh, but good. And, right. you know, my mom was always the one that was there to, you know, ha- um, help us when, uh, you know, things didn't always work as the way we had hoped they sure. would. She was very encouraging. Sure. What other types of things outside of class? Uh, you know, music, theater, were you involved in any other types of things uh, other than sports? Um, not really. I was mostly involved in sports. I did a lot of photography uh, work as a, as a young person. Oh. Um, but I, I spent most of my time, free time, um, you know, in in sports and playing, uh, you know, anything that we can get our fingers on. <laughs> Were you a good student, Jeffrey? Um, in high school, I was a I was considered a very good student, uh-huh. but it was in a small high school, you know, and I thought I was actually pretty good at like math and science. And when uh-huh. I went to college, I kind of realized that I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different level, right? It is. It is different, yeah. more competitive yeah. kids, better schools. Were there some other um, influencers uh, during those days, coaches or, you know, folks that um, you you had a chance to, you know, get to know that also provided you some inspirational lessons as you were growing up? Yeah, my my grandfather, my, uh, my mm. mom's dad, he was probably one of the bigger influences in my mm. life. And he was a wonderful man. Um, and he always taught us um, to do the right thing. And, mm. um, of course, he used to pick us up for Sunday, for church every Sunday, and make sure we right. went to church with him. But and he, he was he was, a, he was very, a man of faith, sounds he was, like. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he encouraged us to always do the right thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when I started playing sports, you know, there's some, you have some really good coaches and some lousy coaches, but, you know, I was fortunate enough that, you know, some of them took an interest in me and they try to push me to do my best. Um, and I remember our high school football coach, you know, he, he was a, he was a man of faith also. And mm. he used to tell us this, this saying every day at the, at the end of practice. And it's kind of stuck with me and it, it went like this if not me who if not now when mm. and i always thought about that you know why put off something you can do today yeah, right that's a good lesson and um you know don't count on somebody else to do it you know you need right. to be the one to to get it done at times so yeah yeah well you obviously went into entrepreneurial things a little later in your career what about when you were growing up was there the ubiquitous paper route did you sell you know cards at christmas time you know what what types of lemonade stand what types of things uh, if any were you involved with uh, an entrepreneurial nature oh uh, i had a, a paper route from the time i was about 12 until i actually graduated from high school and nice it, and my brother had an, a paper route and they were kind of connected Um, which was nice because then he took it over and he had this really big paper route. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I I did a lot of different things. I I, I cut a lot of lawns, you know, uh, for gas money. I worked at the neighborhood grocery store. You know, I got to, uh, you know, all these things, a young boy, they want you to unload the truck and stock the shelves, you know? Sure. um, and then I got to learn how to work in the meat department. I mean, the the family that owned it was very kind to me. And, uh, you know, I worked there as often as I could. Um, and then a couple of my buddies, uh, we would unload railroad cars ah. full of sugar and flour for the local baker downtown nice. uh, on a weekly basis. So, yeah. you know, it was it was a lot of odd things, right? Um, anything to make gas money and have right. be able to go out, <laughs> do do the stuff on the weekends, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What again? Any lessons that you learned from some of those early entrepreneurial things that that served you later in life? Well, you know, I, I think probably the most important thing was to be polite, pleasant. Mm. And uh, respectful of people, and, and they always will call you back if you do a good job and, and yeah. you're polite. Right. And they, right. you know, they think you're a hard worker, and you know, you're not sloughing or, or laxing on the job. And you know, you get the my my both my dad, and my grandfather pushing me really hard. And so when you go to work with somebody, you know, you want to do the best that you can in yeah. any situation. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd go to college? Uh, was that something that mom and dad wanted for you? Was it more self-motivated? Or can we tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the decisions around your choice of going to school? Well, it it, it, um, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. My yeah. I was the first one in, in my family to go to a, a four-year college. Older sister. Um, she went to nursing school. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. And... I was fortunate enough to be a a good enough athlete, but not a great athlete, um, to get an academic and football scholarship. Oh, nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And that really helped uh, because yeah. I think without that, I probably wouldn't have been able to get the education I got. Right. Or we would have struggled to try to make it work. Yeah. And, and how did you decide what to study? Well, you know, growing up in Western Pennsylvania, it, it was pretty obvious. I guess as a, I thought I was a good math and science student, and everybody right. told me I was, so yeah, I should yeah. study engineering. Uh-huh. And um, 
I got my scholarship for mining engineering, which again made sense to come back and work in Western Pennsylvania in the mines or in the steel mills. And so uh, I went to Michigan Tech, which is an engineering school, and uh, they had a a, a good football program and a great engineering program for studying mining engineering. Yeah. Um, So that's that was my you know fortunate ability to to leave though what I would consider to be having to you know, work in the mills if I was unable to get educated. Right, right. And did you go on to get a master's later on or, or right to work uh, after your bachelor's? Well, <laughs> I have to tell you, I actually never got a degree in mine, in engineering. After uh, the first year, I didn't do well in math and science and was told that I probably belonged in the business school. <laughs> <laughs> Gently. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, c- kind of by the dean of the School of Engineering. <laughs> and uh, so I was home that summer working in the mills, and I got a call from the, the school telling me this and right. and that I would need to move into the, the business program. So um, I went down and met with my dad's accountant and asked him you know, about business, and right. he said I should get a degree in accounting. Uh, so I transferred into the um, – business school and, and got an undergraduate degree in accounting and finance. Mm. Um, and it, and the math there was a lot easier. Than exactly. It was right. You put it, you put it to good use. <laughs> I, I, I did. Um, and then after uh, graduation, I went to um, work as an auditor for um, a department store chain in Manhattan. Okay. That was the first uh, job out of college. Though. That was my first job out of mm-hmm. college, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, was a traveling auditor going around yeah. to our various departments uh, right. across yeah. the country. So, you know, back in the day, it was, it was called Allied Department Stores. And we owned all the high-end department store chains like Brooks Brothers and right. Bonwit Teller. And so we would go out and do operational financial and IT audits of each of the operating divisions and uh, it was a, a team of us that went out and yeah. did that. And it was a really great experience uh, for the first job. You, you learned a lot. Sure. You got connected with the division staff, the presidents and his teams, because you were the corporate person, you know, representing right. what you're working with. So you had to work really close with the, the leadership and the executive teams. And, and they expected a lot from you as, a, as the corporate member. Right. And did you was, have leadership? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, not in the in the very beginning, we worked kind of on teams. There was always a senior right. on site. Right. Um, but I didn't have a lot of um direct reports. I had no direct reports in my yeah, first in show. That job. No. And how no. long did you stay with that? Um I, I did that for two years and yeah. then uh, I moved to to Michigan um mm-hmm. and got married and went to work for a, another retailer as the director of internal audit. And so there okay. I had my first staff of people. Um, right. To uh, to direct, so that was the first time you started managing people. Yes. Yeah. What were some of the earliest uh, leadership lessons you learned from, you know, that job and and, and bosses and and you know mentors you had, good and bad. And you don't need to mention any names on the bad. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> those examples are some of the best too. Well, some of the earlier stuff. I, I worked for a CEO at uh, as a director of internal audit, oh. and. He was a great gentleman, taught me an, an awful lot, and he always taught me to be um, fair and compassionate. It was an auditor. You're mm. looking for things that need to be improved, and, and he knew you were going to find them, but his expectation was that 
uh, you you did it the right way. You communicated positively. You never knew where where people were coming from that day. If they had a right. bad day that morning or something, an issue with a child, but treat them like you want to be treated. Mm. Uh, be tactful and compassionate. And right. Right. and uh, he said that will go an awful long way. And, mm. and I think he was right. Very good. Very good lessons. Uh, and from, you know, well, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say for the on, on on the bad side. You know, you got. <laughs> You got people that um, they just they they talk over people. They don't listen mm. to you. They don't mm. value your opinions. Um, you know, and, and I think you lose people really quickly if they don't think you're listening to them and yeah. and you're, they don't think they're valued. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And you you see that as an example, and that helps you as well with regards to how you work with others. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know, it. Yeah. Because you're right, you don't think about when a person comes into the office that day, well, what are they leaving behind? You know, right. Is it a good experience, right. a bad experience? The, you know, kids have problems, parents have issues, and, and you know, they're coming to work to do a job, and you want to treat them the best way that you can and get the yeah. maximum out of them while they're there. Right, right. You'd mentioned early on about your grandfather and, you know, going to Sunday school and, you know, kind of the faith-based um, – you know, lessons he had. Did, did that serve you well? Did the, those types of things, um, you know, in your early life, uh, you know, things like the golden rule, treating other people like you want to be treated and some of the lessons that that CEO left with you, did did, did those principles uh, help you along the way? Absolutely. And yeah. I, I really think that, you know, having that sort of an upbringing and an education and the, the positive thinking that, um, that that helped with allowed me to advance my career mm. differently than, um, you know, some of my peers may have, you know? Yeah. Right. So, so, uh, uh, you're in a, a senior audit position in a, another retailer. How long did you kind of stay in the financial functions until you actually moved to the corner office or, or at least the C-suite? Oh, uh, probably 20 years in oh, wow. financial and operational, um, yeah. in operational roles. Um, and, and, and I worked for a number of retailers, um, right. and big and small. Yeah. Mostly big. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so I, my, my last retail role, I was a VP of finance with Kmart when the, oh, wow. when the okay. bankruptcy occurred. Oh, um, gosh. And, and most of our, us senior finance people found our, uh, found ourselves unemployed. Right. And I got a call from, um, a, f- a gentleman who told me he was the father of one of my staff members Oh, that I actually didn't know the staff member because mm. I had such a big department. Um, and he asked me to lunch mm. and he would, he explained to me, he worked for a private equity company and they okay. had a automotive electronics business that sold into the retail channel that was having troubles. And he mm. asked me if I, uh, Wanted to take a look at it and see if I can come up with any ideas to help fix the business. Mm. Um, so I went down and I worked with them and I put together a, what I thought was a good turnaround plan to help improve the business. And then they asked me to become the CEO and implement the plan. Oh, fantastic. Um, wow. Yeah, that so was for, fortuitous. Yeah. yeah. For two years, um, we did just that. We, we, moved, we improved the business. Um, you know, got it moving in the right direction. And then the same group of guys ultimately then asked me to, to run an industrial cleaning business that they had just mm. bought. Mm. And well, uh, ba- backing up a little bit, what do you think um, 
motivated this father of one of the employees to reach out to you? Well, he told me at lunch, he said, uh, his son said that, you know, I was a great communicator, mm. very positive guy, and, you know, just got caught up in the changes of, you know, corporate finance. And, and that was at Kmart, right? And that was at Kmart, yeah. 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 And, um, and it's great because I still t- talk to both the son and the father uh, yeah. today, and, and they're great people. But it, it just out of the blue, um, he called me and said, you know, my son, I should talk to you. And it's okay. And, and, and something. Yeah, and you know, it's it's the Now I know you're being humble. I'm sure this employee <laughs> really admired you as a boss, right? Cuz you well, know, private equity guys don't always reach out directly to corporate folks unless they're really impressed. So, it sounds like you made quite an impression on that young employee. Well, you know, pr- probably and the the thing that when when I came home and I told my wife all about this, and I said, you know, I, I try to treat everybody the exact same way and try yeah. to make sure they feel good about what they do and the teams right. that they're on. And I said, you know, his son worked in one of the departments, uh, I think it was supply chain, and he was an analyst, so I didn't even know him. And But he was in meetings and yeah, he, would, sure. he would sit through the town halls and we would talk about, you know, making the business better and trying to be a positive improvement inside our, our, our jobs. And... Um, so, yeah, I think if you treat people right, those things come back to you, um, you know, more than you think they will. That's a great example, Jeff. It really is. And it just proves the fact that, you know, again, treating people equally, being fair, being treated like you want to be treated is a big part of being successful. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And so uh, the first couple of CEO jobs then, and they were private equity. So what, yep. middle market, $50, $100 million sales? Was that kind of the size at that time or, yeah, the or larger indus- than that? The industrial business that they had bought was, uh, I think, $60 million when okay. they bought it. Right, right. Um, we grew it in about two and a half years um, into about 230 or 240 wow. million uh, through some acquisitions. And we actually split that business off between industrial cleaning and underground um, sewer um, repair business. Okay. Okay. And then, then did you come into kind of the building materials in that direction or how did you kind of come into that industry? So I was working in uh, running this business in Houston, this industrial cleaning okay. business in Houston at the time and traveling weekly. And I really wanted to get closer to home. And my, uh, my wife obviously uh, was working at the time. So an opportunity came up um, as the CEO. It was a building materials door company in, okay. in Michigan. Right, uh, right. It was a small business, about $12 million. And um, I decided to, to try it. The, um, it was the first non-family CEO Hmm. Um, the mother had passed away at 93 and she was the, the last uh, family CEO. So taking over a, a private equity backed, um, not first non-family business was oh. really an interesting experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And, and it was, it was turned into a, a great business because that is, um, that's the beginning of, um, of Seneca Holdings is, we, we, we bought this restaurant door business, and over the course of 10, 11 years, we completed a, a number of acquisitions um, and have ro- rolled up an, a nice building materials mm. business that's $230, $240 million of revenue yeah. to it. 
Awesome. Now, I noted that you did get your MBA along the way. We got a little sidetracked oh, yeah. uh, when you changed your course. Now, wh- when was that? Was that during your years at Kmart or was that uh, prior to or after? No. So when I moved back to, um, after my first job in Manhattan, when I moved back to Michigan to get married, um, I was working in, in the uh, auditing area okay. and got exposed to the, to the CEO and told him I wanted to go back and, and get a master's, but you know, mm. I had a young child. So um, I decided yeah. to do the night program. Okay. Right. And he was kind enough to write me a letter of recommendation and another board member was. And so I went to the university of Michigan's night program for oh, my right. MBA. Yeah. It took Got me it. three years. Yeah. Worked during um, the day and yep, did that the night and weekends. Yep. 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 So it was a three-year program. So it was a great program. Um, it allowed me to continue my education and, uh, you know, it's different than doing the day program, but right. everybody in the night program is working. Right. What would you say was the best benefit from your MBA, you know, over the course of your career from the time that you completed it to today? I, I think the the best thing that they taught us was that things are widgets and mm. you can solve any problem if you think about it and you apply business principles to it. So if you're in, you know, fast food restaurants, if you're in retail, if you're in manufacturing, if you're in services, hospital, we did all these case studies on how to solve problems, how to apply it in that arena. And you worked in small groups. And so you have different personalities all the time and you're trying to work together to to come up with the best solution. And everybody always has the best solution. And (laughs) how do you come up with what's the best solution for that environment? And they, I thought that was the best part of that program. It didn't Mm. matter if you were working in an operational class, a strategy class, or a finance class. Yeah, cool. And um, so that was pre-Kmart years then, right? So before you went to the larger companies. Got it. Got it. Terrific. And do you think an MBA is for everyone that may be pursuing a corner office opportunity? Um, I don't think it's for everyone, but Mm. I think that it helps um, for people because they teach you, um, depending on what your discipline is as a background, they teach you all these other discipline. So you, a lot of right. people in a sales side, they don't have the financial side. They don't have the operational side. They teach you a lot more different things in the MBA program and, and kind of get you ready for leadership. Right. Right. Understood. Yeah. And so back, uh, fast forward now to Seneca Holdings. Now, as you mentioned, you started with, was it, was it uh, uh, Elias and Dor? Was that yep. the name of the, okay, got it. it so was. that was the first company. What, what, kind of presented the opportunity and in, in kind of the mindset for doing this roll-up of, um, you know, finding other folks that were, some I'm sure were direct competitors, other had uh, businesses that maybe were similar to what you were doing. You know, was it uh, the strength of uh, Eliasson and where you folks were? Was it the kind of the opportunities that you saw with ownership of some of these other firms, a natural consolidation that was taking place? All of the above, you know, yeah, <laughs> tell us a little I, bit about your thinking. About yeah, it. I was going to say a lot of it's all of the above, but, <laughs> you know, we, we and Eliason made a very specific door. Uh, a lot of our business was in the restaurants. Space. Restaurant, so, yeah, you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, so when you yeah. go th- in a restaurant, the door between the kitchen and the in the dining room was really Eliason's bread and butter. Mm. And we did a lot of small mom and pop supermarket chains between the stock room and the sales floor. And okay. that was pretty much our 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 business. And it made a lot of sense to me that 
when you walk in a building, a commercial building or an industrial building, there are doors everywhere. Right. And which doors are the the ones that you don't, you know, that you don't buy at a Home Depot or Lowe's that require a contractor to install them right. that just not yeah. an average person can do? And how can we get more doors in a particular uh, establishment of business? Right. So you can either develop those doors or you can go out and look for who has the look best the industry. product yeah. in the industry or who has right. the best brand reputation, which to me, the brand reputation has been what's driven most of the acquisitions through the years. Somebody that has a high quality brand recognition in their particular niche, and then we would you know, do an acquisition of those and integrate it and consolidate it into our manufacturing facilities. Right. And awesome. it's worked out really well because, yeah. you know, that we had our, our largest competitor at the time at Eliason was Chase Doors in Cincinnati. And we ultimately merged Chase and Eliason. Okay. And because uh, Chase had one style door that was the same, but a lot of different doors. Right. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had I don't know, 65 million in revenue and uh, the private equity group really wanted to improve the business and look for more opportunities. So we've done, I don't know, probably 11 acquisitions oh, wow. um, in the last um, seven years right. and, and all different kinds of doors. And, um, and we've actually moved into like glass doors that you see in supermarkets. Um, we make a lot of mm. those now, the reaching glass doors. We we bought a business that does enclosures for the data center, the computer rooms with that doors on the front of them to keep the rooms cool and, and yeah. warm. And so there's a lot of places and applications yeah. for yeah. When doors. When you begin thinking about it, it's kind of mindless. You're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah there's so many different things and we're always going to have doors. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Has technology had a big impact on how the door business has evolved over, you know, the last decade or so that you've been involved with it? It has, um, but not on the, the door side as much. Right. We, use, we use a lot more uh, technology in the machines to make sure. the product. Right. But right. what's really evolved is the locking systems mm. and the technology to you know, keypads and wireless Makes locking sense. of doors, which yeah. we don't participate in. We're just the, the door manufacturer. Right. Um, but that's really where the technology side is going. Um, but, you know, from a door perspective, you know, we're trying to make high quality custom doors that a a builder or a contractor could put into an opening. And right. the, the big moat around this business is making sure you can deliver fast and make them to fit an opening so that they don't come from China. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the biggest competitor, I would imagine, over time. Over time. It's absolutely yeah. the largest competitor. And if you, yeah. if you make the door to fit an opening, and we love rough contractors because they don't make anything square. <laughs> and <laughs> so therefore, it has to be cut. A lot of custom cut. work. <laughs> exactly. And they pay more for that. And it's, yeah. it's very custom and it fits an opening. And if you think about if you had to buy something from overseas, it's on the water for 30 days or 21 days. And so we can get you that door in uh, 48 hours, wow. 72 hours. Wow. And so we use technology in our in our buildings to get the information into the computer system, manufacture the doors, and the get the product out to a job site. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you, uh, we mentioned your bio. You've recently um, 
moved into the chairman's role. Is that within the last year, Jeffrey? Or yes, yeah, because you, yeah, you were CEO for a good decade or so. Yes, and yeah. um, you know, in the private equity world, they they buy businesses and they hold them for a window of time, and the management right. team is expected to stay. If you're depending on where you are in the life cycle, and and stay through the sell period. And so we sold the business last May um, to a different private equity group. And through that process, I told them I really didn't want to stay another five that was years. Your window. Yeah. yeah. And it. so they got a new CEO and and I've been helping them with the the acquisition strategy. Awesome. Uh, yeah. mostly. Yeah. Cool. How how would you say your leadership uh, styles evolved over time, Jeffrey? Well, I, I, I think that what I, how I think about it and what other people would say about me is um, mm. I, I'm probably a, a very demanding leader. Um, I know that I expect everyone to do their best to, to move the business forward. Um, and where I think I've really kind of evolved is, is in my communication style and the level, level of compassion that I bring to each mm. of these situations. In the beginning... I didn't have as much compassion for you know the, the situation. I was just trying to move the ball forward at, at right. all costs, and I think you know because of that, you become a better listener and you want to understand the situation. And the, probably the most important thing for me has been that I can help you with problem solving. I don't have all the answers just mm. because I'm the CEO. I think a lot of people think. The CEO has all the answers, or he wants to give you all the answers. Right, right. And I and I don't. I mean, in the beginning, you I thought I had a lot of the answers, but what you realize is all the people that work for you, they're really bright. And if you yeah. surround yourself with bright people and you let them go, they're gonna come up with a better collective solution to a problem. And it, it it's just you gotta just support them in making that happen. Yeah. One of the challenges in um, the the approach that you've had over the years with Seneca with buying and, you know, kind of doing the roll up is really kind of managing and developing the company culture, right? Because there's two ways to look at it. You either look for companies that are aligned with you in culture, but may not be the best competitive fit and or, you know, product fit, or you buy companies that are extremely different. And then you kind of have that cultural fit challenge. You know, what did you find as you went through the process of some of the purchases that you have done and are now doing in kind of managing the cultural aspect of, um, you know, keeping, what I guess started really is the Elias Endors culture, right? Yep. As you've expanded it into these other businesses. That is probably the most difficult part of, yeah. of every acquisition yeah. is trying to uh, establish, you know, at least a high level, your culture within inside their business. Because you're buying a business that has a manufacturing plant and they've already have an established culture of their right. own. Mm-hmm. So- the most important part for them to feel like they're part of the bigger brand and that we have cultural beliefs and we kind of mm. display them and we try to educate them on those, those cultures. So we want them to see the big Seneca picture. Um, and then we, you know, we do a lot of things to try to connect facilities and do town hall meetings and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we put up, uh, you know, communication vehicles um, creating monthly messages electronically, try, trying to talk about our values and how somebody is living them at work. But it's probably been the most difficult thing yeah. um, because I think we have 20 facilities across the globe now. Wow. And it's just hard when you buy somebody and they've worked one way and we're very metrics oriented. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when you have that many plants, you have to run them that way, You know, understanding the metrics 
and and that culture has to that they have you want it to stay but you want it to mm-hmm. it, to Blend. mushroom into part of what Seneca does and it's the yeah. hardest thing to to really get yeah. accomplished so it sounds like kind of the latter a lot more of the companies you've purchased have had different cultures than what Eliasson or the original Eliasson and that moded into into Seneca has had is that would that, that be an accurate statement that is very accurate yeah yeah yeah, that, that can be a challenge. It is. So, uh, but it sounds like that's the right way to do it. Here, here's who we are. This is who we want you to be, <laughs> right? And then monitor and and, and measure uh, how they perform against that. Yeah, and, and then getting out there. So, you know, when you start get to get too many facilities, you know, we want to make sure that we use videos and other ways right. of communicating so they know who you are. So when you walk into a plant, they don't just see a suit coming in. They know who you are and they know what, position you have in the company and they should feel comfortable enough to come up and talk to you um, and and talk about their problems or talk about what they're doing to improve their job. So when I walk plants, I love it when people come up and tell me all the things that they've done on their own to make it better or faster. Right. Right. Have you found there's been instances where you've purchased companies go, wow, you know, they do this a little differently, but that's pretty cool. Let's absorb that and make it a part of who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's happened probably, you know, as many times as it hasn't that they we yes. found something that they do that's so great that how can we implement <laughs> that across the other businesses? Yeah. And Broaden that, that yeah. helps with the culture when they know sure. that, you know, we bought this business in Salt Lake City and here's how they do this particular task and let's roll yeah. it out to all the other facilities. So then the Salt Lake people are out sure. helping, teaching, and they're proud mm-hmm. of that how they're adding to the Seneca culture. Mm-hmm. So we do look for those nuggets in each of the businesses that we can pull out and use across the, the platform. We think that's very important. Very cool. Yeah, great. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I had just a couple other questions. Um, you know, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in? You know, I, I try to find people that are willing to invest in themselves to learn. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I really like, in, in the interview process, I like to find out if they've taken like measured risks in prior jobs mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. either succeeded or failed. And I, I don't really care if they failed or not, but I want right. to know what they learned from it and how they improved from that. Because, you know, people that aren't willing to take the risk and they expect us to tell them what to do. So I'd much <laughs> rather have them take the risk and fail or right. succeed, but they're not going to bankrupt us. So take take the small risk. Let's see how well it worked. Mm. I, I, I like that a lot. And I also have always um, liked people that played on teams, some organized mm. team. I don't care if it's, you know, peewee baseball when you're little, right, um, right. but they learn how to work together to yeah, solve problems. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I think team players, um, they have that, that win-win attitude, sure. um, you know, so that has really been important to me. Not that everybody we've hired has, has been a team member, but you can definitely see the one, how they interact, the ones that are team members and sure. the ones that aren't. Well, and work with people with other skill sets than themselves. That's key, right? Yep. Because you've got to be able to recognize there's more than one way <laughs> to get to the end goal. And, you know, your your way may be better than mine, Jeffrey. So I better be open to that because you've had certain set of experiences. And, uh, you know, so often I know I had that challenge early on, you know, it was that kind of cookie cutter approach. And you learn pretty quickly that, uh, you know, you've got to, if you surround yourself with smart people, you're going to find new ways of doing things. So Absolutely. 
And, and, and well, that, I think that challenges people. And that's why they yeah. want to come to work for you because they, yeah. they know that's part of the culture. Right. Awesome. Last question. You know, what career and life advice would you give to our uh, middle market audience who's got their eyes on their own corner office someday? Well, you know, I think probably one of the more important things that, that, that people can to get there is that just to never give up. You're going to have setbacks. Mm, it's, right. it, it's, it's going to happen in life. I didn't expect to lose my job at Kmart, you know, um, sure. it, it's going to happen, but you know, you never give up, you keep pushing. And I want, I will tell people learn more, do more, take on more because that that's going to improve you either for the company you're in or that the opportunity to get in, into the corner office. Right. And, and always treat people with great respect, you know, help the people mm. around you to do better. And I, I, I also think it's extremely important to stay humble in, in your role because yeah. people don't want to work for somebody that's very arrogant. Terrific. Well, Jeffrey Stark, uh, founder, most recently CEO and current chairman of the board of the directors of Seneca Holdings. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.